All right, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll be in chapter 11 this morning, and uh, if you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you, that'll be on page 559. Uh, so that's where we'll be. As John mentioned, uh, we are going to be wrapping up our series in a, through Ecclesiastes next week. That'll be all she wrote uh, through the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been here for uh, quite some time, and I uh, feel like it's been something that God is using in the life of our church. So uh, as you turn there... Um, most of you realize that I am not from Medford, right? Or uh, greater Boston for that matter. Um, I grew up in Kentucky, spent the previous six years before moving here in North Carolina. And so a question that people often ask me is, well, what, how was it making the transition from the southeast to the northeast? And there were certainly some, some, some cultural differences, although, you know, it hasn't been as drastic as maybe we had prepared ourselves for. Uh, but the, uh, just the pace of life um, is, is much faster and people are on the go constantly. And, and I really love that and maybe in some ways thrive off of that. Uh, but not only you have the pace of life, you have the cost of life, right? Uh, we can all identify with that. It is just through the roof, astronomical here. And, um, and so that is, a, that is definitely a big adjustment. Um, and then you have uh, people, you know, just the volume masses of people here, uh, which is an awesome uh, thing, and even the personalities of people. Okay, so, so if you're, if you're uh, from, you know, the Northeast, don't, don't take this the wrong way. Okay, this isn't necessarily just my view, but, but people here can tend to be a little different on the outside, on the surface. Maybe you might say a little rougher around the edges, uh, but that's not totally a bad thing. Okay, let me explain what I mean. Um, in the South, you might have kind of this, this uh, superficial interaction with people. You know, everything's so great on the outside and people are shaking their hands, smiling and all that while, you know, they are just kind of ready to stab you in the back on the inside, all right? Uh, people in New England, they're just going to tell you like it is, and they're just going to stab you in the chest. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so at least you know where you stand with people up here. So it's been a bit of an adjustment, but it's been great. I mean, this is home for us. We plan to be here indefinitely and want to see God do great things. Uh, well, one of the adjustments for us was getting used to just getting around in the city. So if, if you're new to, if you're new or have been new to Boston, maybe you can identify with this. The first month we were here, we tried to use our cell phones and maybe looking up directions, you know, before we left, jotting a few down. And, you know, after a few weeks of that, we had to give in and get a GPS. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, it is difficult. If you're new to an area in greater Boston, it is difficult to get around. Anyone agree with that? Maybe just a little bit. So, uh, so, and even, you know, Boston has this uncanny way of even fooling the GPS system at times. You know what I'm saying? Like there are these 24 satellites that orbit the earth. Maybe you didn't know that. The Department of Defense threw those into outer space many years ago and then finally opened it up to, you know, civilians. And now we have these systems. And, and somehow these, you know, you think the 24 satellites would get the job done. And yet, you know, you're cruising downtown and it says, you know, take an exit here. And then all of a sudden you're like in South Boston and you meant to get, you know, to Waltham or I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, but, but, but think about this. It's, it's one thing if you're trying to navigate a journey through Boston, right? And the GPS can certainly help with that. But, but, but it's a whole other thing if we're talking about navigating the journey through life. And, and I don't know if you realize this or not, but this is exactly what's been going on in the book of Ecclesiastes. The preacher is this old man, this, this wise man. He's been a king. And he is trying to teach those coming behind him 
the realities and, and even the meaning of life. He's trying to give, he's been on this quest, right? And he is trying to give guidelines to others who are on the same quest. And, and the, the primary encouragement that I want us to, to grasp this morning as we, as we move toward wrapping this book up is this, is, is he's gonna teach us to navigate your journey through life with a God-centered compass, okay? Navigate your journey through life with a God-centered compass, all right? We're gonna talk about having God-centered navigation, all right? That is even better than the nicest GPS that you could buy uh, for your car, get on your phone. All right, so, so as, we, as we wrap up here in chapters 11 and 12, what I want you to see is that the preacher is going to be wrapping up his argument here, okay? And what he is doing is he's trying to call us to decision, call us to response, to say, hey, I'm trying to show you my observations under the sun, this fallen world that we live in, and I want you to, to, to come on board with how things seem to operate and God's perspective on all of this. So he's wanting to push us to decision. And again, he is this older man. And I think that we can take this and we can consider that like the Proverbs, he is going to address younger people in this, in this passage this morning. For those of you who have had the, the privilege and blessing of having grandparents and maybe spending any quality significant time with your grandparents, uh, it's almost like, you know, sitting on the porch. Or for me, my granddad, he was also a pastor, by the way. And so I would love it the final years of his life. He was, he was pretty much homebound. And he would just kind of hang out in this back room on, in their bedroom. And he would hardly even get up. But I would pull up a chair and sit next to him as he's in the recliner. And I would just say, man, tell me about life. Tell me about your experiences and in, in ministry and it, it was such a blessing to hear those reflections from him and that's what we have going on here we have reflections on life from this older person to a group of younger people and I hope that it will do us good this morning and so the first thing he would simply tell us there's two kind of key truths to help us navigate our journey through life the first one is is this rejoice all the days of your life. Rejoice all the days of your life. Before we, we tackle these first six verses in chapter 11, I want us to jump on down to verses seven and eight because seven and eight really provide a framework for us to understand our whole passage, 11, one through 12, seven this morning. All right, so check verses seven and eight with me. This is what he says. Light is sweet and pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Now, again, speaking of life in greater Boston, when he says light is sweet, I mean, we are saying amen. That's right, right? I mean, like yesterday was a beautiful day, man. The sun was beaming down. Some of you were outside getting some sun, you know, on your, whatever. And, uh, and, and for those of us who are kind of accustomed to these, you know, dreary, elongated winters, you know, I mean, it's just like the sun. And by the way, man, those people who are rough around the edges, have you noticed when you're driving, like people even wave. People are friendly when the sun comes out after it's been behind the clouds for like 15 days in a row. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so this is a great thing. Uh, we love light, but that's not what the preacher's saying here, okay? Uh, what he's saying is that light is a metaphor for experiencing what is good in life, 
All right, that's what's going on here in, in verse eight. He is continuing on this theme that life should be good. Life should be delightful. It's a constant refrain that we hear again and again and again through the book of Ecclesiastes. Enjoy life. Now, at the same time, he is going to give us a quick dose of realism as he finishes up verse eight. What does he say? But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So in other words, just here we go. Joy, enjoy the life. Enjoy the life that God gives, but realize that you live in a fallen world and there will be days that are not so great. And we live in the, with these tensions day by day by day. And so Look again at verse eight. What he's doing here is he's providing a framework. Let him rejoice. Let him remember. And these encouragements in verse eight are gonna become commands in verse nine of chapter 11, rejoice, and then moving down to 12, one, remember. All right, that's the framework that he provides. So let's tackle that first command to rejoice. Look in verse nine. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. So what we're going to see is the preacher is addressing the young quite a bit in our passage. You might say, well, Tanner, you know, what does he mean by young man? Does, does he, is he talking to teenagers here? Is he talking to people, you know, 29 and under? Is he talking to people who, you know, their head has yet to turn gray and, you know, all of their hair fall out? I mean, is that the case? Or is he even speaking to the, the, here you go, the young at heart? How about that? Is that what's going on here? Well, uh, he's probably, you know, on the lower end of that spectrum. It's probably what's going on here. But, but just remember, what, is it, what does it say in verse eight? It says, it says, let him rejoice in all of them. Okay, so this isn't just a word for the young, although there's specific emphasis and application there, but it's a word for all of us, no matter if, if, if the hair is falling out and turning gray or if you are one of our children here this morning. We all need to hear this encouragement. And he says that a person's youth, consider this, however you want to define that this morning, all right? A person's youth provides a unique time in life to enjoy the days that God gives. You got that? You see, we, we, we've, we've hit this again and again in Ecclesiastes. He is saying, enjoy life, live life to the full. Just two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus came and lived and died so that all who look to him and believe might have life in him and have it abundantly, have it to the full. This life that God wants for us and has designed for us is not this kind of drudgery, you know, man, I've got to do this, this, and this in order to really have abundant life or to please God. It's not this million, uh, millions of rules that we have to keep in order to earn our way to God or experience joy in life. No. Christianity, as we like to say, it runs so much deeper than that. And so it's through knowing God and living for God that we experience joy and abundant life day in and day out. So let me just ask you, is this true for you? I mean, when people look at your life, would they see someone who knows abundant life, who is experiencing joy on a regular basis? 
I think one way to gauge this, and I'm, and I'm not trying to be, you know, cheesy here, okay, really. I mean, I know we all have different personalities, but, but let me just throw out a question, okay? There is a, a Listermine commercial, all right, that says, maybe you've seen it, it's like some kind of special whitening, you know, they're all about that these days. Um, that's not a bad thing, especially for us coffee, anyway. Um, but this Listermine commercial says that, that the average person smiles over 50 times a day, all right? Well, whether that's true or not, whatever that number is, I mean, shouldn't it be true for Christians, those of us who know God, that that number would be like doubled or tripled? What'd you say? And I'm not saying, you know, be goofy and just wear this like perma smile on your face all day long. I mean, but, 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 but think about this. I mean, you can gauge your life and the joy level in your life by how many times, I mean, I think it's, I think there's some truth there, right? How many times a day do you smile? How many times a day do you, do you experience delight and have joy? Even in the difficult moments, man, when things are going crazy around you, can you still smile in those moments? This is a mark of a, of a believer in Christ who knows joy, who has joy, who lives life like God desires for us. So he says, rejoice let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. And then he gives four additional commands that unpack what this looked like in verses nine and 10. So we're just gonna take them one by one. First off, he says, check it out, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. All right, now this is admittedly a tricky verse, all right? I mean, this kind of sounds like pop psychology, you know, the, the bad advice that your friend may give you, you know, hey, just do whatever you wanna do. Do what feels good. Follow your heart. Listen to your heart. All right? Well, there's just one kind of problem with that. Okay? The, the Bible, all right? And, and what the Bible says is that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. The, the Bible says that, that, that we can't always trust ourselves because we're tainted with sin and we don't think the way that God wants us to think and act the way that God wants us to act all the time. So I wouldn't necessarily say, hey, just trust your heart, follow your heart. I don't think this is what's going on here. At the same time, here's the good news for those who are believers and who are increasingly growing in their walk with Christ and in their maturity is that we can increasingly trust our, our heart as we are loving God and growing in our knowledge of God because what happens here is that as we get to know him and as we live our life for him, then his heart becomes our heart. You know what I'm saying? So some of you are wrestling with, man, what should I do? What should I do this summer? What should I do for a career? What person should I marry? And I love what Augustine says. It's almost gonna sound heretical, but he says, love God and do your will. Think about that. Love God and do your will. How could he say that? Well, because if you're loving God, and God is, is, is preeminent in your life and, and he's transforming your life from the inside out, then your will is gonna often, most often, hopefully consistently align with what he desires for you, his plans for you. And so this, this follow your heart is not some, you know, kind of uh, subjective, hey, anything goes, because we actually see in the next phrase, uh, he says, but no, Okay, in these days of your youth, but know for all these things, God will bring you into judgment, all right? So it's not just, you know, this license here, you know, to do whatever it is that you want to do in life and kind of just go crazy, go bonkers with this thing. I mean, he's saying, look, everything that you do, Jesus says in the gospels, every word that falls from your mouth, we'll have to answer for it. We'll be accountable to God. 
And I want to answer a question because some of you are thinking, hey, what, oh, how does this work? If we're in Christ and we're forgiven of our sin, then how could we still be judged? Right? Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And that is true. No condemnation. Completely forgiven. Past sins, present sins, future sins. We experience all the blessings of the gospel. But there is the great white throne judgment that God will separate those who have believed in him and glorified him in this life and those who have not and rejected him in this life. There is that judgment and then there is the judgment for believers that is according to our deeds. The the way that we live our life does matter. Don't miss this. Don't presume upon grace, all right? Does not mean that we're all, that heaven is gonna be, you know, less than for any of us. But there are rewards in heaven. This is a reality. Jesus speaks of it often. And we should consider this and let it motivate and flavor the way that we live our life under that ultimate motivation of living for God's glory. All right, so so follow your heart, but know that judgment will come. And then he says, remove vexation from your heart. All right, so think about this. Whatever is going on in your heart regularly, and this could be a variety of things, whether it's anxiety, worry, anger, some kind of sin that's present in your life, some kind of circumstance from the outside, maybe some emotional scar that you carry from your past, whatever it may be, what he's saying is you need to deal with that as soon as possible because it can eat away at your soul, eat away at your mind. And so there is for us always an opportunity to come to God and say, God, man, I have been scarred by this. I have been hurt by that person. I have this going on that it's just consuming my mind and my thoughts and I can't shake it. And God can walk with us through those fires of life and he can help us remove this vexation from our heart. So I know that sometimes, man, we're just those things that we don't want to deal with, we are really good at pushing them off as far as we possibly can. And he's saying, look, to rejoice, you need to deal with what's going on. And so if you have those things in life, let me just say as, as, you know, one of the pastors here, we want to help you with that. We have free counseling for every person in this church and every person in the city of Medford and Greater Boston, all right? If we start getting flooded, we'll start, you know, delegating the work out to you guys too, all right? So, so we, we want to help people remove this vexation from their heart. And then it says, finally, put pain away from your body. In verse 10, put pain away from your body for, your, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity, And so he's saying, take care of your body while you're young. Use it to the full because some of us can really identify with this, all right? That are in our 30s and kind of creeping up, you know, is that, you know, we're not as quick and not as nimble as we once were. The aches and the pains come a little bit quicker these days. I mean, can you still touch your toes when you bend over? I mean, the back just starts to kind of, you know, you, you go out for a run, try to play with the kid, whatever. And, and it's just, man, that, you know, you need, you're like Shaq. You know what I'm saying? You got to have some of that icy hot uh, for, the, for the back because it's just, you know, things don't work once like they used to. And so he says, maximize your days. Use it while you are young. And then this is what he means here when he says that, that the youth and the dawn of life are vanity. I mean, what, what is that? 
The word van- vanity here, remember, it's used in multiple ways. It's, it's not that, that these days are, are meaningless. It's that these days are temporal. They are elusive. They will not last forever. So he says, maximize them while you have the chance. And then finally, one other word of wisdom, a principle that we can take from verses one through six, or we're not gonna totally skip over those, is this, to trust in God in the midst of uncertainty in our life, okay? Trust in God in the midst of uncertainty. Read read verses one through six with me, if you will. We'll, We'll sum these up quick. He says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way, the spirit comes to the bones and the womb of a woman with child so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And so the, the, the kind of the common theme that runs throughout here is that life is often uncertain. And so how do we deal with these uncertainties of life? We go back to the certainties of God. We can trust in the certainties of God and his character and in his works, even when we don't know if it's gonna rain tomorrow or tonight, it's in the forecast, or if disaster may be looming ahead. Remember, the preacher is really realistic, okay? He's very realistic with what is going on in this fallen world in which we live. And he is trying to give us handles on how to cope with the fallen world that we live in. And so he says, even though uncertainty is coming, the Christian has the ability to confront and walk through the certainties of life because of the certainties of God. Okay? So, so that is, those are some, some handles on how we can rejoice all the days of our life. But then number two, what he's gonna teach us in chapter 12 is that we should remember our creator all the days of our life, all right? So, so what we have going on here in verses one through seven of chapter 12 is, is an encouragement to spend our days wisely because they will pass in the blink of an eye, okay? So, so, so check these verses out with me. He's gonna say in verse one, this early part, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. All right, now let's pause there because the rest of the passage here, the last part of one through seven is going to be an encouragement and incentive and reason for you to really heed that warning, okay? So, so here we go. There, there are three times he says the word before, okay? So remember before this, before that, before this. Here we go. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut 
when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God, the God who gave it. Okay, so, so what he says here in verses one through seven is basically this. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before your life progressively deteriorates to the point where it expires. Now, let me offer a word of apology because two weeks ago I told us after, you know, hanging out in chapter two, three, five, seven, eight, nine, that we wouldn't hear any more about death. Well, I got a little ahead of myself and here we are again, one last time. All right? I mean, again, this is a dose of realism and there is a purpose to it. And so he is, he is saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Let's break this down. All right? What does he mean by remember your creator? Well, when we think about remembering, we think about recalling to mind past events, right? It's a mental act that we're trying to bring this back. But, but what's going on here is so much more than that. What he's saying is allow the knowledge of God as the creator of all things and particularly your life, allow that knowledge to shape everything that is going on in and around your life. The knowledge of God as creator should influence, should color everything that we are about. And so let's just, let's just kind of think theologically, but, but, but really practically. Let's, let's, let's just have, this isn't exhausted by any stretch, but let's just put a few handles on a practical theology of God as creator. Like what does that knowledge have to say to us? All right? Well, number one, the knowledge of God as creator should promote humility and undercut our pride. Okay? If God is creator, he alone is creator and we are not. God is self-existent. We exist because of him. God is, is self-dependent. We depend on him. Our very next breath depends on God. God is outside of time, outside of space. We are bound by space and time. And so when we consider all these facts about God, then hopefully it, it brings us to where we belong, a humble view of ourself and a great view of God. We need pride to be rooted out of our life. And that's one of, the, one of the benefits of recognizing and remembering God as creator. Number two, it should motivate us to depend on God's power. Think about this. The, the biblical account says that God created, the Latin phrase is ex nihilo. It means God created out of nothing. All there was in the beginning was God. God was it. And when God decided to create, it says that he simply spoke the world into existence. He created out of nothing. That's, I would say, a fair amount of power. 
And what we looked at at Easter, on Easter Sunday, which was the, 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 the shocking kind of reality for us, is that this power that created the world is still at work in the world. It was at work 2,000 years ago when it raised Christ from the dead. And Paul says in Ephesians 1 that this same power is available to you who believe, who have this hope in God. So, so now we are left without excuse, Right? I mean, we can live a qualitatively different kind of life. There is nothing holding us back from experiencing transformation on the daily grind of life because this power is available to us from this creator God. So God, remembering him as our creator, it humbles us, but it also empowers us. And then finally, number three, it should lead us to worship. All right? It should lead us to worship. Listen to what Derek Kidner says. At its best and strongest, remembrance can be a matter of passionate fidelity, all right? At its best and strongest, remembrance can be a matter of passionate fidelity. In other words, when we remember God as creator, what we are recognizing is that, hey, he is the beginning and the end of all things. He created everything, even us, and he created us for himself, for his glory. And so when we see this truth, then hopefully it opens our mind, it opens our heart to where we would want to say, hey, it would be really wise for me to get on board with this vision of the world because at the end of the day, this is, this is what really matters. The problem for us is we do not excel at this task. We are like those that Paul describes in Romans 1 where he says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Romans 1.25. And so while we were made to give our highest allegiance to the creator of our life, we like those described in Romans 1 have exchanged, traded the truth about God for a lie and we take our rightful worship of him and give it to these lesser gods. And by the way, as we'll sum up next week, this is the book of Ecclesiastes, right? I mean, perhaps this is why he's encouraging us with this word because the book of Ecclesiastes is about this journey, this quest that the preacher has been on. And it doesn't matter if it's money, if it's sex, if it's power, prestige, work, relationships, you fill in the blank. What he is saying is, man, I've tried it all. It doesn't satisfy. So we need to fear God as the, as the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate aim of our life. And then he changes all of those other lesser pursuits and makes them good. So this is what he's calling us to. He's calling us back to God that our knowledge of God should shape everything, that our lives should be centered on who God is. And let me just say, I mean, I think those of you who have been around for a while, I mean, this is, we want to be a radically God-centered church. The character of God, the works of God, shaping all of our thoughts and all of our actions as a church. Who God is and what the cross means for us. This influences everything. So he says, remember your creator. And then we have this specific instruction to remember our creator in the days of our youth. 
So again, let's just reflect for a moment. The older we get, the more we realize just how fast time passes, right? I mean, just, just pause. I mean, wasn't elementary school just like a couple weeks ago? Was, wasn't high school like yesterday? And then all of a sudden we're, we're 40, 50, 60, 70 years old and we're saying, what on earth happened to my life? Man, it is, it is almost gone. And so the encouragement here is, look, I mean, it's no secret, okay? It's pretty obvious. We're a pretty young church. So perhaps this is a, a word that we really need to hear. Okay? I mean, we want to be a thumbprint of our community. I mean, we want generational diversity, like, happening. And it is happening increasingly, but we want it and pray that it happens more. But listen, as a pretty young church, I mean, we need to hear this. Because the temptation, as we said a couple weeks ago, is to say, look, you know, man, I've got the rest of my life ahead of me, so I'm just going to kind of hit chill mode on my relationship with God, and, you know, I will get serious and radical about who Jesus is after I do this or accomplish that or turn a certain age. And that, my friends, is foolishness. Be sold out for God, like now. That's the preacher's message. Remember the, your creator in the days of your youth, like now, now, today, live for God. Because here, listen, this is, this, is, this is not rocket science. Once time passes, you cannot get it back. One shot, I like to say, one shot at today. May 13th, one shot, never to happen again. Are you gonna make it count for the sake of Christ and eternity. Let me just say a word to our children here this morning, okay? You all, you can get to know who God is in these early days of your life, and that is gonna be the best thing that you can do because it's gonna shape everything as you grow older and you become teenagers or you become college students. Or you become young adults. I mean, we're, you know, whatever, wherever young is on the spectrum for you, the preacher's saying, spend your life wisely. Remember your creator. Let me just say a word to parents, but particularly moms this morning. Man, what an opportunity. Don't waste days and weeks and, and months and don't let them just pass by without you yourself remembering your creator in the, the days of your youth and then passing that on to your children so that they can live a God-centered life from their very earliest days. If we can get this message, man, it's gonna have a shaping, lasting influence on who we are and who we are as a church. Let me, let me close with this. I, re I read this in a, uh, online this week. There was, there was a, a, there's a novelist named Walker Percy, all right? He wrote this, this novel uh, called Lancelot, and, and one, he puts in, in the mouth of one of his main characters this line, okay? Check it out. He says, to live in the past or the future is easy. To live in the present is like trying to thread a needle, all right? To live in the past or, or the future is easy, but to live in the present, it's like trying to, have you ever tried it? It's like trying to thread a needle, and so the preacher here is saying, look, here's how you thread the needle of your life. 
You remember your creator. You rejoice in the days that God gives you. And listen, the gospel frees us to thread the needle, to find exactly what God made us for and what he wants from us and the joy that is found there. So if you are exploring this, this kind of Christianity deal or if, if you have questions, man, that's good. Ask the questions, but just know that Jesus is inviting you to a whole different life one that is filled with joy, one that you were made for in the very beginning. So let's know this and let's live this out as we go throughout this next week. God, thank you for our time in your word. And Lord, it's our prayer that you would help us thread the needle. For we only have one shot at today. We only have one shot at this month. We only have one shot at this life. And so God, make it, Make us make it count. Lord, we need your help. We need your grace. We need your spirit to empower us to be able to do this. For God, as we've looked at, you're the creator. We are not. We are completely dependent on you. And so Lord, would you, would you give us the strength, give us the wisdom to make our days count, to rejoice and remember you all the days of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.